going to bring our reading from 1 Corinthians. This reading is taken from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. You'll find it on page 1088. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by mute, to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretations of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Uh, Naomi, thank you very much for reading. I'd love you to have that passage open, page 1088, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians there. And uh, Cooley, thanks for those prayers too, particularly that we would know more of God and his spirit, his gifts, empowering us as a church body. Let's pray as we get into God's word uh, and think about this topic this morning. Father, we read of the spirit of wisdom and of knowledge. We pray that uh, your spirit now would increase collectively, corporately here. Our insights and uh, revelation, our insight and knowledge. That we might know more and more of you through your word. That we would seek to follow your lead. for the sake of the body, for the sake of the world, and for your glory. Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, We are in the middle, if you're visiting or new or just been away for a bit, this this term we're doing a a series of GCSEs, don't panic, Uh, I think they finished actually GCSEs for most people, but uh, we took that as God and cash, uh, service, and evangelism. We looked at God, our vision here. We refreshed that. These talks are on the website, so you want to sort of pick it up uh, and find out kind of what the, the big vision is, the big picture uh, that God has and how we fit into that. That was God. Cash, we looked at stewardship of what God gives us, particularly our financial resources. And we're now on to the S, service. Uh, and we'll come on to evangelism, telling others. Uh, and last week, Sophie Young spoke brilliantly from Ephesians 5 on uh, spirit people being filled with God's spirit. 
the life of God, His Spirit in us, enabling us, releasing us, empowering us, inspiring us to live for Him. And I want to look more specifically at um, what that looks like this morning as we look at the gifts of the Spirit, as Paul sets out here in 1 Corinthians 12. Come, come to that in just a minute. Um, Will and Lisa Leaf. Will Leaf is uh, going to start as our curate next week. He's ordained on Saturday, and uh, then his feet won't hit the ground uh, as he comes and joins us here. And they've moved into the property that um, the Trust has linked to the church, 16 Parsons Green, just the other side of the mission hall there. And um, prior to their moving in to the, to the upstairs flat, there'd been a, a, a little succession of bachelors, and God bless bachelors, but it, the place needed a little bit of redecoration. Shall we put it like that? Just need a lick of paint. So we, we got hold of a painter and decorator to, uh, just to do a really good professional job before the Leaf family move in. Imagine, imagine our reaction if these two guys had turned up with a, a box full of paint and brushes and decorating utensils in immaculate condition. Sort of gleaming, you know, gleaming sort of handles and brushes immaculately, sort of uh, all the bristles straight and neat. Imagine. Imagine if they turned up in overalls that were spotlessly white and pressed. There was a neat sort of crease pressed down the side there. Not a, not a sign of paint anywhere. Imagine if they'd been sporting an aluminium ladder, which, and you could see it was aluminium. There was no paint on it at all. You'd be, you'd be a touch concerned, wouldn't you? Do these guys? Imagine if they then said, hey, don't worry, job's in safe hands. Look at my brushes. Look at them. Look, I've got all different sizes there, different handle shapes. Look at them. I made. Look at this brush here. Look how big and wide it is. Flat, flat, flat. Think about the painting I could do with that. What do you think of my overalls? Look at my ladder. Look, beautiful ladder. You'd get really concerned. You'd be worried. Paul's worried about the Corinthians. Because the Corinthians have come into a spirit-filled, renewed relationship with God. And God, in his grace, his generosity, he's begun to kind of pour out his life into them. And they're recognizing that, and they're saying, wow, look at all these things we can do in God's power, in God's spirit. Look at this uh, amazing revelation that I had. Look, I can speak in a spirit-inspired language. Wow, I'm beginning to get to revelation into the things of God. Aren't I amazing? I'm caricaturing slightly, but this is what's concerning Paul. The life of the Spirit in the church at Corinth shouldn't be about individual people parading their trophies. It should be about people using the tools that God gives them in order to carry out the job that he's called them to do. Tools, not trophies. Trades, if you like, are the key thing. Ministries, acts of service that build up the body, build up the church. And the, the tools, the gifts that we use, in a sense, are incidental to that. I don't mean to denigrate gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to come on and exonerate them. But that's where Paul is coming in here. You know, don't you, that the uh, Corinthian, there are two letters in the Bible. There are probably more that Paul wrote. There's quite a correspondence going on between Paul 
and the church in Corinth. Just turn back a page, just, just that we can sort of uh, get into a couple of pages. Chapter 7. And you'll see that 1 Corinthians, the first letter of the Corinthians that we have here, is itself a response to a letter that they wrote to him. So chapter 7, verse 1. Now, for the matters you wrote about. And uh, he goes on to talk about um, relationships, uh, marriage relationships, what it is to be single and so on. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, colon. In other words, there's another matter that the Corinthians have brought up with Paul. They, they want his wisdom, his uh, experience on this. So he's, re- he's responding. So 1 Corinthians is a letter in response to what's going on at Corinth. Various things that they've raised, various things that he's noticed. So now about marriage, now about the matters you wrote about, now about food, sacrifice to idols. Chapter 12, back to our reading, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Here's another issue that Paul wants to bring up with the Corinthians. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. I wonder what you thought when uh, you heard Naomi read this out. I wonder what you thought when you perhaps saw it on the term card, gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. I wonder if there were some of us in it, oh no, the gifts of the Spirit. Because what begins to rise up in our mind is a kind of a picture, a caricature of what it would mean to exercise or deploy the gifts of the Spirit. And what is it? I wonder whether it's one of those strongholds that hasn't quite yet come tumbling down where the the enemy would love us to leap to a caricature. Maybe we've seen a documentary on telly or we've read an article in The Guardian or we've heard at some dinner party somewhere that that those wacky Christians who exercise the gift of the Spirit, I mean, they really are right on the extreme edge. You don't want to be be like that. You want to be just a, a normal Christian, whatever that is. But those people who speak in other tongues or, or prophesy, they, they look weird and they sort of sound weird and frankly they are weird and you don't want to be like them. I think the, the enemy loves to play with our mind, loves just, just subtly to convince us that that's for the sort of the extreme fringe. And so you get these sort of phrases in popular, happy clappy. I've, I've, this, this church has been described to me as happy clappy. It's kind of slightly derogatory phrase. Uh, and and it, you know, it, it, it's freighted with insinuations that it's a sort of fringe element of normal Christianity. And all I want to say is that I don't think there's a scrap of that sense of Spirit people using spirit gifts as being anything other than normative for the Christian experience, if we read the pages of the New Testament. But what I want to say is this, that I think Paul is concerned that the Corinthians are maybe becoming a little bit extreme or a little bit wacky and losing some kind of perspective. And my argument for this is based in, in, uh, in chapter 12 and verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. The word that Paul uses there in the Greek is uh, pneumatikos, from which we get uh, pneumatic, uh, power, powerful, you know, like a power drill. Uh, so Spirit as power. But um, it's not the word that is often used for spiritual gift, which is charismata, or, or charism, which, uh, it, you know, as, it, as it's uh, um, uh, played out in different contexts, uh, from which we get charismatic. So Paul here, 
I want to argue, is saying, well, it could easily be translated now about things of the Spirit. Pneumatikos, is, uh, it's, it's difficult to know, because it's the same ending, both in the neuter and the masculine. So it's difficult to know whether you literally translate it as spirit, a spirit man, we would say spirit man or woman, spirit people, or spirit things, neuter. But either way, the, the, in order to translate it accurately, what the Bible translators have got to do is work out what the context is. And because Paul goes on to talk about charismata in verse 4, spiritual gifts, they make the assumption, understandably, that um, pneumaticos in verse 1, given the immediate context, must be spiritual gifts. It's neuter, spiritual things, spiritual gifts. And all I want to say is that I think there's an argument for the fact that the wider context of the letter that Paul's writing to the Corinthians has quite a weight on how we translate verse 1. Because although he does talk about spiritual gifts in verses 4 through to 11, he then goes on, verses 12 to the rest of the chapter, to talk about the, the many parts of the one body. So there are individual parts, but all coherent and un, united together in one body. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, um, part of which is uh, you know, often read out at weddings, there's this amazing chapter on love. That that over and above individual giftings is the importance, the vitality of God's love to be expressed and demonstrated in and amongst the people of God. So I wonder whether he isn't saying in chapter 12 now about spirit people. What should spiritual people look like? What should the Corinthian church full of spirit people look like, live like, sound like, feel like, with gifts, as well as relationships of love, and all the rest of it. I think Paul is really concerned about spiritual people as much as he is about spiritual gifts. But having said that, it's not that he's not concerned that the people in Corinth should know about the gifts of the Spirit that God gives out to all people. And as with Corinth, so with us as well. Verse 7. Three points from verse 7. And, uh, and I, then I finish. Now to each one, Paul writes, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I want to look at uh, three bits of that verse with you this morning. First of all, to each one. Again, possibly the sort of, is there a slightly sort of British reserve about us? It's something we may be sort of secretly quite proud of, you know, that we sort of, um, it's from empire days, you know, we conquered the entire world, but we don't like to talk about it. Uh, we're really quite good at things, we invent things, um, we pioneer things, oh, but we don't like to talk about it. In fact, we're kind of brought up, aren't we? It's a little bit vulgar to talk about yourself. Isn't it a dinner party? Whatever you're meant, aren't you meant to do that sort of social etiquette is to ask questions of other people. You draw things out from other people. You don't, you don't talk about yourself. So, you know, there's something deeply ingrained in us where we just, we just don't talk about the things that we do or that we're good at. It's just not the done thing. And so when it comes to a verse like this, to each one, man, well, probably not me. Um, I, sorry, I'm Tim, Tim probably Tim, 
and one or two other people around, but not me. I'm sure if, you know, if God was giving out gifts, we'll just sort of, we'll just get ourselves to the back of the queue. Everyone, no, you, God's, you, no, no after you, honestly, you, you get, he's giving gifts, you, honestly. You know, just, we just, to each one, to each one, I could look you all in the eye, to each one. The manifestation of the Spirit is given. I kind of want to turn it around. Why? And I'm making an assumption here. Maybe I should move on quickly. Maybe you're all gagging for gifts of the Spirit. But just if there's the assumption, well, it just was slightly lingering in this sort of cultural constriction. I turn the question around. Why, why wouldn't we want to receive good gifts? from our Heavenly Father. Because He wants to give them for the common good. Uh, I have a son called Luke. And um, Luke sort of plays with things and uses things and every now and then they get sort of broken. And uh, Luke, he kind of, he's a, he's a great guy. He, he kind of lives in the immediate. He's broken quick, fix it. With sort of the nearest thing. And I remember he was trying to, something was broken, he was trying to fix it with a bit of sort of blue tack, just sort of bodge it together. And it was frustrating him because the blue tack wasn't really holding, so he was getting frustrated. Dad, <laughs> can, you, can you help? And I saw, just with a little bit more of, sort of life experience and wisdom, and also because I own a toolkit, um, I saw that actually if we just put a, a carefully placed and strategically placed screw into these two parts, it would hold them together. So I got a screw out of my box and a screwdriver, and we screwed, we screwed them together, fixed it brilliantly. It's great. His toy, I can't remember exactly what it was, something he'd made. It, you know, it worked. Or again, it, we've got a, some of you know from the picnic, so we've got a goal, uh, you know, football goal outside, and he, he just endlessly whacks balls into that Wayne Rooney style. Well, let's hope Wayne Rooney style, anyway. Um, and it means that the bindings, the thing that holds the net to the posts have, have come, come away. And so what he did, he, oh, oh. so he got some um, sellotape, and he just sellotapes, sort of wrapped sellotape around the, the net to the, to, the, to the goal frame. But sellotape, he's got quite a hard kick. So he put this net up uh, laboriously with all this sellotape. And then the first kick, and the thing just rips off again. And it, you know, because again, when have you ever seen that with England? Rooney's through, he beats everyone, scores, and the net flies off. And then everyone's sort of bending around trying to pick the... It doesn't happen. It's not really, you know, he, didn't, he wanted to be in the moment, the England moment. Hey, Dad, Dad, the nets come down like, well, I know about cable ties. So I just got a whole load of those, you know, those cable ties and things that are self-locking little sort of plastic loops. And so together we just cable tied the net around the post and the frame. So it looks really good. Got the ball, whacked it, and the net sort of billows, but the ball lands in the back of the net, and the net stands strong. It just looks like... A Wayne Rooney gone. And Luke's dad is imperfect in all sorts of ways, believe me. But, but on those two occasions, he, kind of, he just had um, tools, he had gifts, if you like, that enabled Luke's life to be greatly enhanced. To each one, our Heavenly Father is longing to give gifts. To each one, the manifestation, secondly, of the Spirit is given. Just picking up from Sophie's talk last week, and um, it's going to be on the website very soon, and uh, I'd encourage you to listen to it. It was a great talk. But I love how she brought out 
from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, this uh, antithesis between either getting drunk on wine or being filled with the Spirit. And uh, there's this sort of common similarity. Both of them are, if you like, an intoxication that take you over. That if you uh, are taken over by drink, you, you, you become drunk. If you're taken over by the Spirit, you're full of the life of God. And in each case, drunkenness or Spirit-filled living, eventually it becomes obvious. How can you tell if someone's drunk? Well, you know, slurred speech or slightly staggered walking or slightly inappropriate comments or whatever it might be. It becomes obvious. How can you tell if someone's filled with the Spirit? Well, eventually... It becomes obvious, again, in sort of the words and actions. It points to the kind of character and the goodness and the quality of God. The Spirit of God, God's life in us, will manifest Himself in us eventually. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. For the common good, thirdly. There's something of an outward trajectory to the life and the purposes of God. God in creation, the Trinity, three in one, and he creates a world. Let us create, let us make, let us form. And the world is made so that there's there's something, there's an object for the expression of God's love. God calls Abraham to to create a people, Israel. People, that people, Israel, are placed amongst the nations in order that the love of God through Abraham and his descendants might be made manifest to the rest of the world. God sends his son, Jesus. Jesus is God in flesh and blood. And Jesus lives amongst us, but in one place at one time. But Jesus promises the Spirit to be in all places at all times with those who will receive him. Do you see the outward, expansive movement of God? And so God gives to each one of us who are Christian believers and filled with the Spirit a manifestation of the Spirit, not so that we can keep it to ourselves, not so that like the Corinthians we can kind of just say how wonderful we are, a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good for the sake of others, within the church, and then because the church is grown up and built and encouraged and matured, that has an impact on the community around which the church is placed. So ultimately it is for the sake of your colleagues at work, or your neighbours around where you live, the streets and the roads around here, the people on the green, the people in the pub, the people in the cafes. Fair on the green next Saturday, what an opportunity for the manifestation of the Spirit through our acts of service to touch and maybe heal, encourage, bless others who don't yet know the love of God for the common good. It's wearying, isn't it? I'll be honest, I was saying at the 8 o'clock, I think it was two or three prayer meetings ago, these central prayer meetings we have. Uh, and I was, I was feeling quite weary. It was 8 o'clock, I'd had, I mean, I had quite a long day. It got to the evening, and I, I, I'll be honest, I thought, oh, I wish there wasn't some decentral. I wish, and I was sort of thinking, I was trying to contrive a reason why we might call it off. You know, maybe the roof is leaking, uh, and we don't have to meet. I was, 
Oh, I'll be honest, I just, I, the sort of emotional energy that I thought I'll need to lead and uh, for that meeting to take place. But because I'm the vicar, I thought I'd better go. So I went. And there were some people who said, um, I, uh, this is going on in my work, in my life, whatever, I'd love prayer. And um, as Paul talks about the manifestation of the Spirit being a, a message of knowledge or a prophetic message or gifts of healing, so I encourage people to gather around and to ask the Spirit to um, just percolate these gifts up, as he's promised that he will do. Uh, insights, prophetic words or pictures, uh, wisdom, perhaps the faith, another gift, to pray for healing or particular reconciliation or restoration of, of, uh, of situations and circumstances. And here's what happened. Weary people, because everyone, slaving away at work and uh, traffic and commuting and all that kind of stuff. And as we asked the Spirit to come, and, and one by one, people began to have a, a picture or a revelation that resonated with another picture. So there was this sort of cumulative sense of the Spirit at work. So you kind of offer these um, pictures or words to the people who'd asked for prayer, and it resonated with them. There was something that chimed in with their experience. It was as if God was lifting up the lid on particular situations, which inspired us all to pray. And I caught myself, I caught myself thinking, this is such fun. This is what I feel like I'm meant to be doing. It was so releasing, so inspiring. I always feel sorry for people who, I, I know there are lots of good reasons why it's difficult to get to the central prayer meeting, but I always feel sorry for people who aren't here because you miss out on what God is doing. Even though you start off not feeling like it, like I did, it's extraordinary how the Spirit overtakes. And not in a sort of wacky or extreme way, but just in a kind of supernaturally normal way, it feels good to be serving God. This, this is a, you get a sort of indirect blessing as you seek to exercise the gift of the Spirit for the common good. Gifts of the Spirit for the church. Service, ministry, the trade, if you like. More important in one sense than the individual tools. You see, it, you take a carpenter. A carpenter could use um, a blowtorch or a wrench just as much as he could use a chisel or a saw. He can use any kind of tools. He's probably better at using a saw and a chisel and a hammer because those tools kind of resonate with his particular trade. Whereas a plumber would be good with a wrench or a blowtorch and that kind of thing. But it's not as if a plumber couldn't use a saw or a chisel, just if it's appropriate. So all of us can have different tools, different gifts at any time to get the job done. The key thing is that the job of building the kingdom, of encouraging the church, and of getting God's love manifest abroad, that's the task to which we're all called. We can't do it in our own strength. There's no way that us here can save the world. We can't even save Parsons Green in our own strength. With all due respect, or perhaps you can, I know I can't. <laughs> but with God's help, with God's power, with God's gifting, we can make a pretty good start. Let me just finish with uh, referring to this sheet. Did you, did you get this other sheet in the, uh, 
in the Bibles. Um, and uh, it might be good to digest this at home with a uh, husband or wife or in your prayer triplet or uh, in your house groups. One or two biblical truths for you to read through, one or two cautions perhaps. Uh, and then I've just put on the other side some spirit-empowered gifts mentioned in the Bible. I've, uh, please take issue with me if you disagree with the way I've kind of grouped these together. Um, I've kind of wanted to just go away from the particular passages which has maybe slightly restricted our view of what spiritual gifts are. And you can see there are all sorts of different things, mostly in the New Testament, but some in the Old Testament too. Some of them are, um, appear to be quite uh, uh, supernatural. Others of them very ordinary would appear to be. And there isn't any hierarchy, I don't think. The Spirit empowers people to serve or to help as much as to speak in different spiritual tongues and languages. But my f- final thing, and here I finish, uh, this is, if you like, homework for the week in your house groups or in your families or wherever it is. What shape is your ministry? You see there the, on the side-headed spiritual gifts and uh, under that heading, what is the shape of your ministry? And I wonder whether you can begin to see what God is birthing in you, or has been birthing in you, maybe new gifts, new areas of ministry. Uh, and this little mnemonic may help. Are there spiritual gifts that you are aware you've been operating in, you've been beginning to use, or perhaps you've been using for some time? But allied to that, in terms of the shape of your ministry in your life, what excites you? What, what, what causes your heart to skip a beat? when you think about contributing to God's big picture and growing his kingdom? What abilities do you have? In other words, what are you naturally good at? I mean, and some people are just good with you know, detail or with figures. Other people are good with people. Some people are, uh, look at the micro. Others are just more naturally able to see the, the macro, the big picture. What, what kind of preferences do you have there? And linked to that, your personality traits and tendencies. Do you, do you like... You know, kind of doing stuff on your own, or do you love to be in the middle of uh, where all the action is? What are your kind of preferences in that respect? And what experiences have you got? What have you done in the past that uh, you just found actually really easy? You, you, you found you loved? I remember when I was, um, I was working on a, uh, an outdoor center in a, in a sort of gap year, and uh, uh, sort of canoeing, climbing, sailing, and I... I, I was lamenting to an, another guy who's a brilliant sailor, a really skillful sailor. And I said, I'm, you know, I'm no good at, I'm just not any good at sailing. Actually, I'm not really that good at canoeing. I'm not much of a sort of climber. There are other people. There was one guy who was looking to solo every single VS, very severe climb in the Lake District. And he'd done about half of them already, soloing, no ropes or anything. He was an amazing climber. And I was looking at all these people and I said, you know, I, I just don't, I'm not a climber, not a sailor, not really a, I'm not, I don't really know what I'm that good at doing. But they used to have what they called devotions at the start of each week, and I was asked to lead a few of them. And this guy said to me, are you kidding? And I sort of looked at him and said, have you ever seen yourself lead devotions? Now, you see, climbers and sailors and canoers don't often like standing up and talking to people. And I just hadn't appreciated that I didn't find that too difficult. You're probably painfully aware that I didn't find that too difficult. Well, <laughs> finish in a minute. But uh, it, I needed someone else to point out to me that here was a gift that I could use. That's why house groups are so important. Our triplets are so important. That's why we need one another to see the shape of God's life in us. So I commend this sheet to you. Take it home, uh, prayerfully read through it, and ask in your groups uh, and of one another, what is God shaping in you, his 
uh, ministry in you and his gifts in you for the sake of your maturity, for the sake of this body, for the sake of our community and our nation. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask the uh, band to come back. We're going to worship.